with Sarah Hendy. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. On Spotlight this evening, we're heading north to see sculpture and illustration with Julia Ashby-Smythe and Neil Milsom at the Hodgson Loom Gallery. We're heading south to see meticulously detailed paintings with Jeremy Paul at Studio 42. And we're going east to dive back into the 1970s with our very own Howard Kane, who last week starred in Abigail's Party. As ever, you'll find the whole programme with extra bonus material this week in our podcast at manxradio.com. We start this evening's programme in the 1970s with Manx Radio presenter Howard Kane. He and a merry band of local performers joined forces to stage the acclaimed film director Mike Lee's 1970s cult classic Abigail's Party in aid of the Roy Castle's lung cancer charity. He spoke to news editor Lisa Harding. It's an iconic 70s play, I think. Uh, It's one I remember seeing when it was BBC Play for Today, probably in the 70s, rather worryingly, and seeing Alison Steadman playing the delicious Beverly, or hideous or horrifying, depending on how you look at it, and I think it was Janine Davitsky playing uh, one of the other parts as well. I remember then thinking, oh my Lord, I don't know that I fully understood it or appreciated it, but loved the play then. And, you know, I've always wanted to do the play. It has been done over on the Isle of Man before, but I've never had an opportunity to do it. And so it came up this year, yeah. We were doing another play, a friend who was actually directing it, who's a very good actress herself and used to be a professional actress, said, you ever fancied Abigail's party? I said, you know what, I really have. And she was thinking of doing it for a charity fundraiser. That's the charity she works for, the Royal Castle Lung Cancer Foundation. And it sort of came from there. So it's one of those sort of manner from heaven, really, because I thought, leave it a few more years, I'll be too old. So it was a perfect timing, perfect timing. So I played Lawrence, and uh, Abigail's Party is a play of manners, I guess you would say in many ways. It is set very squarely in the 70s. It was written in the 70s. It was written by Mike Lee, a well-known playwright who basically produces or works through improvisation. So he comes up with scenarios for his actors and actresses and gives them the scenario what is happening, what they're doing, tells them a bit, a bit about their background. And then they improvise, and they improvise various scenes and scenarios that he suggests for them. And through improvisation, they come up with a finished product. And that's how Abigail's party came about. It was a group of actors he started working with. He gave them the ideas. They had lots of thoughts about you know, who they were, what they were, their backstories, what their relationships were with each other. And then they improvise with that background knowledge, uh, their characters. So it is, in essence, exactly as it sounds. It is a middle class, it's suburbia, presumably in Essex or somewhere around there. There is a middle class couple Beverly and Lawrence who were married three years Uh, I think their marriage is under strain a little bit perhaps should we say I think there's an element or question mark of whether she just married him for his money and he married her for a bit of a trophy wife Um, they are a bit of a social climber certainly Beverly is really likes to sort of do one-upmanship and really be a bit up sees herself as being a bit above the neighbours she's invited some new uh, neighbours in Tony and his wife who come along they are newly in they are just their first house And yes, Beverly loves to show off what she's got. And equally, Lawrence rather sees himself as slightly above the people who are coming in. Meanwhile, we have Susan, whose party is Abigail is her daughter. So Abigail's holding the party. She's been asked to leave because it's a teenage party. So she's sort of homeless for the evening. She's been invited as well. She actually is slightly upper class and is married to an architect and is somewhat above all the rest of them, but is equally very uneasy. So it is this play really on, on the clash, I think, of the classes, the nouveau riche, which sort of came out in the 70s, that sort of slightly upper middle class feeling, that terrible 
terrible class thing we do have in the UK, or certainly had in a big way in the 1970s, of, you know, where were you, where's your social status? And it's just that delicious uneasiness as the whole evening unwinds. People drink more and the truth comes out, as it were. It's the 70s, you've got lots of classic music with the likes of, of Demis Roussos. I think there's the, mentioned some of the music in the play, so I think you've got the Sex Pistols or something playing down the road where the where the young ones are having their party, so the music's blaring out there. Meanwhile, the, the oldies, or I said the oldies, it's me, isn't it? Playing the likes of Demis Roussos and um, Donna Summer, I think, right at the beginning. Oh, love to love you, baby. The classic starting uh, a track on that one as well. All wonderful classic 70s hits. And again, even that has its tension and that Beverly loves all that. Lawrence, the character I was playing, likes to see himself as somewhat more cultured, like classical music. He likes James Galway, he likes Beethoven, he likes. He sees himself as slightly above all of this. I think that is absolutely delicious. I think the play itself, when it was originally done, like I said, with, with um, Alison Steadman and Jenny Davitsky, was so well known um, and so admired. And I don't think, uh, I don't think Alison Steadman's ever done anything better in many ways and I'm sure it's lived with her for the rest of her years even though she's a wonderful actress I'm sure she's never shaken off that mantle of, of playing the delicious uh, Beverly back in the day but it still resonates today because you still have those sort of problems going on and there still is that sort of class thing isn't there maybe less than there was in the 70s this one was literally put together for, for the show so it was yes it was Janine it was Laura coming in to do it she said right just asked a group of friends who are all actors and actresses on the amateur front would you be interested they all said yes and that was it so it was an ad hoc group been and gone but who knows we might do it again Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Now we're heading Laxey Way, where illustrator Julia Ashby-Smythe is in the middle of hanging work for her joint exhibition at the Hodgson Loom Gallery with Neil Milsom, who we know for his sculpture, but he's been adding something completely new into the mix for this show. He's got paintings, <laughs> and he's very good paintings. They're very sculptural in their layering of colour, but they are... Yes, fabulous, Sylvie. You can, he's too good at everything. It's not fair. Um, but yes, it'll be lovely to see those as well in, in the exhibition. The, the colours are just beautiful. Because yeah. everything that I'm seeing here at the moment, I mean, you're still in the, the middle of curating. Very good of you to let me come in the gallery. Um, I know how busy these days are, so thank you. Um, there is a real darkness, and I suppose that's, that's a lot, you know, we see a lot of that in your work. It's the bright and the beautiful, but there's always a twist. There's always something just a little bit dark or mischievous or even menacing in your work. Um, and I can see that that's definitely something that's carried on through. I mean, how long how long have you been producing this work for? Because I don't think I recognise any pieces from real life, only from Instagram and Facebook and posts that you've made. We decided after we finished the last exhibition in 2016 that we'd have one that would have been last year. Yeah. But there's probably about th some of the pieces that have been done three years, mm -hmm. some have been done closer, but the theme is deeper. And it's deeper in emotion, deeper in thought, deeper in throwing yourself into experimental techniques, because there's a lot of things that I've got in here that I've never done before. The same with Neil and his paintings and the way he's layered with not just paint, but other things to get mm -hmm. the results that he wants. Gosh, that sounds exciting. It is. So mm -hmm. it's there's lots of experimentation and just that that whole deeper theme, not only in the subject matter but the thoughts that are behind it and just going with it. So some of it is a little bit deep. Mm -hmm. Um some of it is deeply dark in its colour and its essence, but there's still 
a gentleness, hopefully, yeah. within that, um, yeah. or a, a vulnerability, hopefully. Mm. So people will see that, if or not. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> Art is what it is. You'll see it. Or it'll be entirely your own eyes and how it yeah. attacks your heart. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always an interesting um, listen when people are going around and you're yeah. thinking, I don't remember drawing that in there. But that's what they've seen. So yeah. it is, it's, we'll see. Yeah. So, dear listener, we'll let you make your minds up about what you see and where. But um, I can definitely see that delicacy about your work. Um, yeah, it, it's got that ethereal elegance. So, yeah, even when it is dark, it's gentle in some way as well. And I suppose you can't ignore the fact that we've had such a strange couple of years and... I, I can only think that that's added to the theme in a way. It's such a coincidence. There's so many people we've spoken to who say, oh, no, we planned this before lockdown, and yet it still fits perfectly. And actually, I imagine lockdown might have enhanced your experience. That sounds better, doesn't it? Yeah, there are some pieces that I was thinking about that never got birthed into this exhibition. and But there are pieces that, I've been watching how people have interacted with each other, some good, some bad, mm. some really nastiness, or, and that, I think, having the time to observe that has come through in some pieces of, just because you think that's not beautiful doesn't mean that it isn't yeah. beautiful. Something can be beautifully broken. Mm-hmm. and more precious because of that and so I think there is some of that has come through um, in some of the pieces that I've done and I have got my lockdown sketchbook in here as well yes with your picture in it oh really yes (laughs) highlight I've arrived everyone (laughs) Julia Ashby Smith's drawn a picture of me Um, and it was glorious I mean yet the work that I saw you come out with through lockdown you were incredibly productive and I loved meeting all the new characters you introduced us to. I think that's something I really love about your work. Um, You can just take it at face value, but woven in there are stories, inspirations, places. I just feel as though they're little portals to somewhere else with their own lives and stories in there. Um, It really is a magical experience. And being familiar with Neil's sculpture, I can imagine that your work will complement each other's beautifully and in this lovely space i mean i'm sure this will change before the preview on friday but um uh, because i mean i know <laughs> it's, how many times has it been up and down um uh, it's a process isn't it but um people have a great amount of time to be able to come and enjoy this exhibition it's it's actually staying open beyond christmas which is quite unusual and l- a lovely opportunity is it's on at the moment until the 15th of january who knows might even be on longer (laughs) but hopefully we're going to morph it yes so as at the moment it's deeper Mm -hmm. it may get a little bit lighter it might get a little brighter i don't know but hopefully we're going to bring in some other pieces as well so it won't be this that you see on the wall at all times there will be new things added Hopefully, <laughs> um, that's the plan yeah. because 
hopefully also we'll sell a few pieces and they'll go before Christmas. And so I have already got pieces that will come in that will change the dynamics mm -hmm. of it. And Neil hopefully will be the same. We've got some pieces already in mind that we're working on collaboration pieces. Wow. Um, so hopefully time willing and everything that yeah. we will get those together. But yeah, the, the idea is to morph it a little so that it might not be the same, exactly the same if you come back again. Oh, yeah. Delicious. So an evolving exhibition and yeah, I can only imagine the other threads of colour and inspiration you might weave into it. Um, it must be a nice feeling because I know you exhibited in Lorient um, a couple of years ago, so you know you have had a, a solo exhibition recently. But as the curator here at um, the Hodgson Loom Gallery, you must spend so much time with other people's work. It must be a really lovely feeling to be working with your own. Or I don't know, is it more frustrating? Because I suppose sometimes it's easier to deal with other people's stuff, isn't it? And then when you come to deal with your own, you're like, why did I put that? there or why did I frame this like this I'm just wondering what the process has been like for you oh, yeah, I'm double guessing myself all the time thinking <laughs> oh, is that too low is it too high is it too high is it too dark oh, I don't know I don't know whether I like the lights on it now and I'm moving it around way more than I would necessarily do because yeah. I'm just I'm I'm almost fighting curator head and artist head I'm having a double diva moment <laughs> it opens on Saturday is that right yeah, yeah. preview is on Friday night um, it's no preview, so oh, lovely. we're even having some wine, hopefully. Gosh! And maybe some really retro 70s nibbles. <laughs> Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. At the recent Ellen exhibition in the Villa Marina Arcade, we bumped into wildlife artist Jeremy Paul, who had a piece in the show, and his solo exhibition at Studio 42 was well underway at the time. There's now just over a week left to see this collection of work before most pieces make their way to new homes. Among them, his first landscape painting for 30 years, not featuring any wildlife whatsoever. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's, it's a painting looking from Fort Island across to South Brule, Um And it was sort of post-sunset and it was a really calm evening and the reflections were fantastic. Um, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll, as I often do, I, I take sort of loads of photographs and things and would normally then put, you know, a flight of birds or something like that coming across or a heron in the foreground or something. And I did all the, the basics of the painting and I thought, well, putting anything else in it would just be sort of distracting and intrusive. So um, it was such a beautiful evening, I just left it as it was. So, yeah, it's the it's quite a quite a rarity, really. <laughs> it's the only painting with no wildlife in it at all mm -hmm. so, yeah it's rather special really i feel um yeah it's but i have noticed a few landscapes in here is this something that you're exploring more or um revisiting or has it just kind of been a gentle thread throughout the years that kind of pops up every once in a while um it, it's something i have done occasionally you know with with sort of birds in the distance particularly here in the winter, I love seeing the, the sort of the crows and things flying around and the jackdaws in particular, um, sort of during the winter with winter landscapes. And I've, I've done one or two and it, I don't know, I, I never know where my work's going to sort of develop or how it's going to change. Um, and it's changed quite a lot over the years when I look back, but um, it, it might be something I'll do more of. Yeah, yeah. I quite enjoy it. It, it makes a, it makes a change from you know painting close-ups of feathers and, and yeah. things, 
so uh, yeah it's quite a nice thing to do yeah 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 it must be quite different um I mean, speaking of close-ups of feathers, I mean, there's such an array of, of bird life in this exhibition and a number of exotic birds, which I've noticed, glorious colours, really eye-catching. Um, are these based on photographs from your travels? Yes, I mean, over the years I've, I've photographed some some sort of quite exotic birds in different parts of the world and, and never really got round to painting them, um, partly because, I mean, a lot of people don't know what they are. Um, and uh, it, it's a completely different colour palette to what I'm sort of used to used to working with. So I, I sort of challenge yourself to to try and paint some of these birds. Um, um, yeah, it, it's it's something I've thought of doing quite a few paintings of. You know, more more of the the, the birds that I've seen in different places, different parts of the world. So uh, so yeah, there's a few of those. I mean, I had a whole, whole selection of kingfishers from around the world which uh, which are sort of all sorts of different colors um, and the, I, I've got quite a lot of photographs of uh, hummingbirds which um, will be a real challenge to to paint because you've got this iridescence mm -hmm. um, and I keep looking at them thinking I must must have a go at that um, but I don't quite know how I'm going to do it but we'll see. <laughs> Um, I love a hummingbird. I can't wait to see those. Um, they're just so elegant, aren't they? There's something interesting um, that you told me. A lot of the conversations you've had, a lot of the interest you've had in your work has been more um, around the familiar species that people recognise, um, perhaps somewhere that they think could be nearby to where they live or somewhere they've been before there's a real draw to what's familiar what's known um, which kind of surprises me because the colors of the exotic birds are just so eye-catching and, and captivating yeah it, it's a strange thing I mean I've, I've people think I do a lot of traveling and I mean I've been very lucky in the traveling I have done but probably you know the majority of the paintings I do are, are sort of local based and you know here on on the island and Scotland maybe um, and one you know from here on the island most of them are around Colby so mm -hmm. um, so yeah it is it is the sort of uh, the familiar um, and I just get a lot of inspiration here so it's you know it's obvious that that's going to come out in in my work I don't sort of plan long term what I'm going to be painting it yeah. just you know what it's sort of oh what shall I do next you know um, and if I've done a big painting of you know big cats or whatever um, I need to, to change and do some sort of smaller ones so I like to switch around and chop and change and mm. uh, and of course locally I see a lot more I mean like in you know I had a sparrowhawk in our back garden the other day um, and um, there's there's quite a few more buzzards around and hen harriers I see locally and and brown hares so you know it's when you see something like that mm. you know that's the sort of instant inspiration to do a painting of it so yeah. so that's where a lot of it comes from yeah. those sightings really are very special and I just wonder if um, you know the couple of years that we've had has turned people's attention to what we have on our doorstep you know what's precious to us what we really treasure it's just really interesting um the, the the way that people have been drawn to that which they know and as you say a lot of a lot of that comes from Colby where you're based we're here in your studio and what a lovely studio it is it's so light and um, I'm really enjoying the different different pictures on the walls as well inspiration um and it's 
it's a lovely space. You said once upon a time it was your garage. Yeah, I, I used to rent a studio in Port St Mary and then we converted the garage about 15 years ago. So, yeah, it's where I sort of uh, live my life, basically. I get sort of shut away in here and um, and just get on with it. So, yeah, it is. It, I mean, it's a bit small sometimes, but I don't do enormous paintings. So mm -hmm. so it works quite well as, uh, as a working space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's very peaceful as well. Um, I'm wondering when you sit down to work. Um, there is a radio in the corner, but do you do you find that kind of thing a distraction? Do you like to have the the window ajar because you've got a bird feeder <laughs> just outside your window? A, a very popular bird feeder, I have to say. Um, is it, do you find that you kind of um, once you're immersed, you're unaware of goings on around you or are there things which you can find intrusive because I suppose in this space that you've created you can have the best of both worlds should you choose it um yeah som sometimes the hours just just fly by when you're really into a painting um I mostly have the radio on sort of pretty well all day mm. um and usually speech radio I prefer that to listening to music although occasionally i have music on but it's it's mostly speech radio um and it's it's must be a sort of different part of the brain i can listen to something on the radio and really concentrate on what i'm painting at the same time um if if for instance my wife comes in and starts talking to me then i, ca I can't concentrate on what i'm doing you know so um it it's a strange thing once i'm sort of in in the zone of painting um, I can paint and listen to the radio and watch the birds out of the way I mean the it's such a time waster watching the birds on the feeders but um, you know that's that's part of part of the work as well yeah. of course you know so yeah. yeah can relate exactly to what you say about um being able to take it all in and be 100% focused on your work the setup you have by the window you have beautiful natural light landing on your um on your easel it must change through the day though how do you cope with the changing weather the i mean if there's bright sunlight shining through the window that can't be a good thing like a photographer yeah. um i imagine yeah. bright sunlight is not your ideal maybe this diffused slightly you know murky day <laughs> could be a lot better um well two things yes uh, the, the studio's great but in the particularly at this time of year in the late afternoon i get direct sunlight on the the side window so i have a neutral colored blind which mm -hmm. um, comes down I've also got two large spotlights, uh, which are over my sort of left shoulder, which uh, um, they're not daylight spotlights. I, I think they, for me, they're too blue, but uh, these are just the normal spotlights. So I have those on all day in the winter. Um, so the light doesn't change that much. Um, but mostly it's it's um, it's pretty good. It yeah, it's just at this time of year when I get the direct occasional days of direct sun <laughs> coming mm -hmm. through the window that it's a bit <laughs> of a nuisance. Um, but no, it works quite well as a studio. The the light and everything's pretty good. Um, when when I first um, started and I was renting a little room um, in Port St Mary, I had to have all sorts of lighting arrangements because the, there wasn't any mm -hmm. <laughs> sort of there. So so this is a lot better than that. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, I can see that. Um, yeah. And around your studio, I mean, as I said, there are different bits and pieces, inspiration. I think, I think it's a very tidy studio, actually. You wouldn't want to see mine. You've got feathers, of course, and um, a couple of antlers as well. And 
some taxidermy too because I suppose when you you know if you are painting from um your travels or even if you spot a sparrow hawk in the garden you can't get it to sit still um so I, yeah I'm just wondering does that assist you when you're painting detail and really getting to know what you're painting uh no, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Uh, I mean the taxidermy these these were things that were being there's one of the great northern diver and the other one's a shorty Adele these were things that were being chucked out by people. They're very old, moth-eaten things, <laughs> and they chuck them in my direction, so they just sit on the shelf here. Um, I don't know how old they are, um, but, yeah, they, they're pretty old. <laughs> um, so, no, they don't help me in the slightest. They're just, <laughs> oh, they're just well, there sitting on, on the shelf. <laughs> they're just there sitting on the shelf. No, I mean, my... Yeah, I, I work from lots of photographs and a lot of observation. Yeah. Um, and um, you you have to have both really to be a successful sort of wildlife artist. Um, you have to have the observation to to know the behaviour and um, the settings to you know where the where the different birds or animals are, and then you have to have the close up detail um, in my sort of work because if you if you get it wrong, people will point it out to you. Um, you know, you get the people who will count the number of tail feathers and things like really? that. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So you you have to have to be accurate. Um and a lot of that I mean all you know, I I take all my own all my own photographs to go into my work. So I've got thousands and thousands of photographs. Some are very good, an awful lot of them are really bad, <laughs> but I can work with really bad photographs. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're just a reference. Um, and you put your knowledge and your... I mean, I've actually been painting seriously now for 40 years when I think about it, and it's full-time, um, 30, 30, 31 years um, as a full-time artist. So if I can't do it by now, then <laughs> then I need to... I need to be giving up and doing something else. But having said that, you're always learning as well. You know, it's a continuous learning process mm. um, as to how to do things and um, the sort of uh, techniques um, to to get the effects you want and the colours you want and all that. And I suppose there must be some birds which are so familiar by now. You paint a lot of robins. Yeah. Um, so I'm Pretty sure when you, when you sit down to paint a robin, it must be like saying hello to an old friend. <laughs> it must be a completely different experience when you come to paint. Maybe it's a species you haven't seen before. Yeah, you've, you've, it's the observation of, of you know the stance of the bird and the attitude of the bird. You, you have to try and get that into your painting. I mean, robins, I, I could... I often think, do I ever really want to paint another robin? But, you know, people do like them. So um, you you have to sort of study them to get to know what, what you know, how they, how they behave before you can really start painting them. With the more exotic birds and the iridescence, it's a whole technique of painting which is different. You have to underpaint in, in white and then put transparent layers of paint over it so it sort of glows and... Uh, things like that so you have to learn the, the technique of, uh, of going over it again and again to try and get the the iridescence into it um, and that that takes um, that takes practice it's not mm. something that uh, you just pick up you know so th there's a lot goes into to trying to paint new new species that you've not done before mm -hmm. you know so okay. yeah 
there's such a variety um, on show at your current exhibition. We've still got um, just over a week and a half left to come and see it at Studio 42. It amazes me how much work you have produced. You say it's roughly a year's worth of work, is that right? Yeah, I mean, my, my sort of cycle of work is, is that I usually have a, a one-man exhibition in the autumn and then I do a sort of few commissions and things and then come Christmas, January, I start painting um, a whole new body of work for the autumn exhibition. So, uh, And then there's always some that, uh, that, that are sort of held over from previous years and things. So, so yeah, it, it's sort of... You know, 35 paintings um, is is a year's work pretty well for me. Gosh. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoy it. I mean, I, I I don't know how many exhibitions I've had here on the island now, um, and people seem to still want to come and see them and um, thankfully buy them as well, <laughs> which is, which is you know, uh, always nice. And uh, um, so, yeah, I'll just, just keep going, you know. And if you do want to come along and take home your very own Jeremy Paul painting, there aren't many left to choose from, so get down to Studio 42 very quickly. Um, it's open until the 30th of October. If you'd like to pop along and see the show, Studio 42 in Port St Mary is open Wednesday to Saturday, but for more information, click on the link to our podcast and you'll find everything you need to know there. I'll be back next week with more creative news from around the island. But until then, have a lovely creative week. Slen you.